Hey guys, what is up? I hope you have been having a spooky-filled October. I can't believe we're already like midway there. We're midway through, guys. I I'm not okay with this. Like October's flying by and I wish it would just calm down for a minute because I just like to relish in this season, this time of year, this month. Ugh, can't believe it. So yeah, here we are with another Ghoultober themed episode. As always, this is Crime Ghoul and I am your host, Brittany, and I'm so freaking happy to be here with you guys tonight. I've got a really good case for you, so let's get right to it. Go brew yourself a cup of coffee, pour yourself a glass of wine, or perhaps take a shot of whiskey because as always, this story is not for the faint of heart. Have you ever wanted to be like somebody else or something different? Did you ever want it like so badly? Mark Twitchell seemed to be that way. He wanted to be somebody else so badly. And he's the focal point for our story today. And just like him, some of us want to be our favorite character from our favorite book or a movie. Maybe it's even a celebrity or maybe it's your best friend. For me, I see Harry Styles and I wish I knew someone like him. I wish I had qualities that were similar to his and I wish I could find them in other people. So yes, that's my guilty pleasure. I am almost embarrassed to admit, but yes, Harry Styles, I wish people were a little more like him, minus the fact that he cheated on his um, most recent ex-girlfriend, but I digress. Besides that, not counting that, as if that never happened um, then yes, Harry Styles. But some of us take this to an extreme, and very few go as far as Mark Twitchell had gone. I've mentioned in some of my pre previous episodes that these cases make me feel like we're stepping into some alternate dimension, some kind of deep, dark place that's in the corner of your worst nightmares, or maybe even under your bed. And today's episode is one of those dimensions. I guess my brain just makes sense of these crime cases in this way because it's just so hard for me to fathom that they're real. Like these stories I tell you guys are real. And sometimes it's just, I don't know, it's it's too much. It's too, it's too rough to even comprehend that someone can do something so horrible or that someone could be in an actual living nightmare. I think we enjoy listening to these cases because they are over once we end them. Just like that, we go right back to our everyday life, and it's so much more safe than these real-life nightmares. But truth be told, it's important to understand that this horror doesn't just end here. It lives on, and it will continue to live on. And I think that's why it's so important for me to talk about these true stories, because we forget. And I don't want people to forget, because if we forget that these people are real, we lose the importance of certain key components to life. You and me, we all get caught up in our everyday routines. We have lives to live, and so do countless billions of other people. But just for a second, these stories take you into a reality that you and I will probably never see. And for that, we are so lucky. The key takeaway from these stories is to be kind to one another. Nurture and love your children, take care of one another, and to never take this short life for granted, because it's gone in a flash. Mark Twitchell... He was a taker. 
And that's what he did. Take, take, take. He took happiness from some, took the trust of others, and most horribly, he took a life. So who was this guy? Who was this taker? Of course, he's got to begin somewhere, right? So, well, for starters, he grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, which is in Canada. From a young age, he wanted nothing more than to make blockbuster films. And come on, honestly, that's on my wish list as well. I wish, I wish I could make a blockbuster film. He attended the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology and graduated from the Radio and Television Arts Program in 2000. And Mark was an average-looking man. He had brown hair, brown eyes. He really wasn't anything special. Sorry. He married a woman named Megan, and they met in a chat room, which is pretty ironic, and I'll get to that in a second. And they were married from 2001 to 2004, but things didn't work out, and they got divorced. By 2009, he was remarried. He married a second wife, and she was an American woman named Jessica, and he actually moved to Illinois with her for a little bit. But their marriage ended in 2010. And just wait, because we are definitely going to get to that later. By 2007, Mark was really putting himself out there in the film world, especially in um, Alberta. His name was up and coming. People actually knew who he was, what he liked to do. He was trying really hard to be noticed, and he was trying to find someone who would invest money into his ideas. He actually made a prequel fan fiction film that surprisingly drew the attention of two famous actors. It was titled Secrets of the Rebellion. He was a big Star Wars fan, and he wanted to add to the universe that is Star Wars. So he he managed to get Jeremy Bullock to make a cameo in his short film. And if you're a fan like me, then you know who that is. That's Boba Fett, the bounty hunter. The one and only Boba Fett, which is just so cool to me. I don't understand how he managed that, but he did. So, I mean, good for him, but screw him because he's a piece of trash. Not Boba Fett. Mark. Mark's a piece of trash. Okay. Got to get that right. So I don't understand how he did that, but whatever. But this film, it never went past post-production. It probably sucked. So it was never released. Only him and his volunteer friends ever watched it. And the other famous guy, I don't even know his name. He's kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say he doesn't matter. But to me, in this story, he's really not that important. But he he thought signing on to this would be good because Jeremy Bullock was in it and being aside like alongside another actor would probably look really good for him, especially somebody like Boba Fett. So once he got to like the film site, he saw that it was kind of um, garbage. Like it was a bunch of college kids or like graduated college kids fooling around, worshiping this guy, Mark Twitchell, and laughing at his jokes that weren't funny. And he was kind of like an arrogant son of a bitch. That was a little rude. But for real, he was. He was. He was arrogant and he was rude. And he just thought he was hot. He thought, he thought very highly of himself. So whatever. That guy was like, nah, sayonara. I gotta see, like, see you later. I gotta go. Not, not what I'm into. And obviously, like, this film set was n- was very low budget. He was just starting. He was an amateur filmmaker. It's not like he had millions of dollars. He was no Steven Spielberg. He was, he was not that at all. He wanted to be. But maybe he was on the road to success. I mean, like I said, people were noticing him in the community. And his name was becoming known. So who knows what he could have been. So in 2008, Mark tried out a new genre of film, and he did a short film that he titled House of Cards, and he was getting into horror and 
maybe just a little bit too much. So he filmed this movie in a garage that he rented, and it was basically about this dude who was on online chat rooms luring men, acting like he was like acting like he was a girl, trying to get them to come to the garage. Once they did, the main character killed them, like brutally killed them. And he was getting a little too into the scenes. The main character was played by this actor who was um, really losing himself in this fake world, like of being an actor, you know, like he was really taking the story a little too, a little too literally. So Mark was getting lost in it as well. And he was just like, yeah, make sure when you use the knife, you're looking at the camera and you're really like, you're really digging in there. Like he was getting a little graphic and even the actor was like, wait, whoa, this is, this is a little too much. Like I'm pretending to chop up this guy and I kind of enjoy it. And clearly Mark enjoyed the story as well. So Mark really loved Dexter. Like that was his favorite show ever. And I don't know if you guys watch Dexter, but it's this dude, like the main character, he works with blood and he's a serologist and he works with like crime scene investigators and everything when it comes to homicides or anything that has to do with foul play. And here's the thing, he murders people, but he only murders people who deserve it in his mind. And yeah, some of the some of the people that he kills are definitely pieces of shit, but he's a fake character, okay? This is what I'm talking about. This was that character for Mark Twitchell that he wanted to be and he wanted to embody. He even made like a Facebook account and everything acting like him, Dexter Morgan, and would like make statuses as if he was Dexter, all this crazy stuff. But he was really into the show. The show was kind of like Hannibal. I don't know if you guys have watched Hannibal, but in a sense it was, except Hannibal, he was a psychiatrist and he ate his victims. He he murdered them, but he ate them as well. And they were pieces of shit people too. So I guess these guys are like seen as anti-heroes to some people. And don't get me wrong, I love Hannibal. But as we know, if you've read the books, if you've watched the movies, he... um he does go against his own rules sometimes. If people break the rules, um, he might have to kill you. So yeah, there's that. And then Dexter, obviously, you know, both people are murderers. Like you can't theoretically be a good person if you're murdering people, if that makes sense. I don't care how shitty they are. Obviously, we just all know as human beings, you're not supposed to murder people. But here, Mark Twitchell was starting to blur the lines of reality and fantasy. And he was kind of seeing... Dexter's point of view, except Mark started thinking about what it would be like to be like Dexter, but he wasn't thinking about killing bad people. No, he was thinking about killing anyone, good or bad. So I'm sure that just like so many other killers, people that were close to Mark, friends of Mark, his own wife, fiance, before she was wife, obviously, they probably thought they knew Mark. But nobody knew the Mark Twitchell, like the real Mark Twitchell. Only Mark did. And Mark would confide in some woman online who also saw the darker side of things and kind of agreed with his thought process. And she would kind of see who the real Mark Twitchell was as well. But other than that, everybody thought he was a good guy. Maybe arrogant sometimes, but he was a filmmaker. He had ambitions. He came from a good family. And nobody would ever think that he was going to become a killer who was inspired by a fake character named Dexter Morgan. Yeah, nobody ever thought that at all. 
And it's just like that with so many other killers. Like you look at Israel Keys and people who knew him said they never would have guessed that. I mean, minus the people who grew up with him. But a lot of people in his adult life thought he was a great guy. He was so nice. You look at Ted Bundy, it's the same thing. You look at Scott Peterson, it's the same thing. Like people might have known that Scott was a cheater and an infidel, but that doesn't mean you're going to go and murder your wife. You know what I'm saying? So just like all of these people, Mark was the same way. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And between 2008 and 2009, things were really about to heat up in this crazy world that Mark Twitchell was living in. That almost seems like a movie. Seems like it had to have been a movie, not real life. So Mark began to blur the lines of fantasy to reality. And we're going to start with his horror film I told you about. He takes that fake world he made and he was blurring it into his own reality. He began going on Plenty of Fish. And if you know what that is, it's kind of like a Tinder. It's kind of like similar to that, I guess, where you try to find people to date and all that stuff. So Mark was on this, even though he was married and he was posing as a woman and he was trying to lure in men. And he did. There was a man named Giles and he was looking for love on Plenty of Fish. He was looking for someone, a partner, and he had to be in his mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s, and he started talking to this woman online, and they were really hitting it off. They really seemed to like each other and get along and have a lot in common. Little did he know that this girl that he thought he was speaking to was an amateur filmmaker on the other side, and he was probably getting a kick out, a kick out of it on the other end of the computer behind his own keyboard. Pretty sick, if you ask me. People like this who catfish. If you know the show Catfish, you know what that's all about. And if you didn't know what catfishing is, this is basically catfishing. You're online pretending to be somebody that you're not. And Mark got Giles to come and meet him or her, I should say. And Giles did. So the supposed woman gave Mark his her excuse me her address and said you know like come hang out let's like cook let's hang out let's do whatever and he was like all right cool cool so I'll be there they made a date and Giles would pull up to a garage and this was the garage of Mark Twitchell where Mark filmed his horror movie House of Cards and other films he was making took place in there so it was evening, maybe around dusk, like the sun was pretty much set. There was a little bit of a gold hue, but for the most part, darkness was seeping in and it was becoming night. So Giles arrives at this garage and he's greeted by a man who is in a hockey mask and has a stun baton. So you can only imagine what his thoughts must have been. I can only imagine what Giles was thinking when he drove down the alleyway to get to this creepy garage. He was probably thinking like, what the fuck am I doing? What am I getting myself into? And I'm sure he was trying to rationalize it all at the same time because that's what we do. So he's welcomed. I don't even want to say welcomed. You know, he meets this person who's standing right outside this garage with the stun baton. And he's like, you know, hey, is like um, Jenny here? Am I in the right place? And needless to say, the man standing in front of him convinces him to put on a blindfold. I don't know how this happens. Some people are just like, I don't want to say pushovers, but they don't like confrontation. They just kind of want to go with the flow. And this is what Giles was doing. He really was just kind of like, okay, maybe this is some joke. Maybe, I don't know. Like, is this like a foreplay type thing? I don't know. Who the hell knew what was going on? But if it were me, hell no, I wouldn't have put that blindfold on. 
but it's okay, Giles. We don't judge you. Everybody's different. Once Giles was blindfolded, the man took the stun baton and stunned him in the legs, and he just dropped to the ground. Giles fell. His legs were like jelly. It was bad. And someone who was passing by, he actually screamed to, and he was like, help me, help me. Oh, my God, help me. And then you've got the man standing there like, oh, no, no, we're just playing. This is just a game. We're filming a movie. It's just a joke. Like, you know, don't listen to him. We're just playing around. He's kidding. And these people believed it, you know, because you don't want to believe your worst fears. You don't want to believe that somebody's actually being hurt. So, you know, the person walking by thought it was just a joke. Giles was terrified for his life and he fought back with everything that he had. Despite how hard it was to get up with that stun baton, like hitting his legs, like with all of his might, he ran and he ran down the block and actually encountered these two people who were walking their dog. They were a boyfriend and girlfriend and Giles just fell to the ground and was like, oh my God, help me, help me. And he was just like, I'm being robbed. I'm being mugged. Like he didn't really know what was going on at this point. And all of a sudden you see a man come running up the street in a hockey mask, like again something out of a horror movie i'd be like what the fuck is going on people like what is happening right in front of me is it real is it not real i probably would have been scared especially in that area it looks a little seedy and these people were afraid that they were being set up for like a burglary or a robbery so they took their dog and they bolted they headed they like they left and Giles was able to get up and run to his car, get in the car and sped away and never looked back. He actually didn't even want to think about this incident again. He was so embarrassed, so much so that he actually didn't tell anybody. And this really sucks because had he told somebody, it might have saved a life. But again, Giles, we don't judge you. That's that's the main theme here with our boy Giles. Can't can't judge him because honestly, who knows how we would have acted in this situation. I mean, I'm sure we can all say like, oh, I would have been smarter. I would have done this. Yeah, yeah, maybe you would have. Maybe you are a brainiac. Maybe you are the smartest person to ever walk this earth. But this is about Giles and his experience and the experience he had in this moment. And he clearly put that blindfold on, got stunned and was like, holy shit, I need I need to go. I need to go. So he zipped out of there and he got home and immediately, what do you think he did? He went onto his account, Plenty of Fish, and he tried to find everything, all the information about this girl he was talking to, but it was gone, all of it gone. And he didn't save the address either. He kind of just, he, he took the address, like, I don't know if he had it memorized or what, but needless to say, by the time he got back and looked at the account, the address was gone. Everything was gone. He didn't want to go to the police because he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to explain it. He was embarrassed, first of all, that he was talking to people online. I don't know if you guys know this or if any of you remember this, but it was almost like frowned upon to like try to have a relationship online, like back in the mid 2000s, early 2000s. Now, I mean, it's a free for all. That's how you meet people. If you don't try to meet people on Tinder or Bumble, then where you at? <laughs> or you're just normal and old school like me and you like to meet people. And that's, I mean, I'd say that's how I met my husband, but I met him in ninth grade of high school. So you know what? Doesn't count. Okay. It doesn't count. We weren't in this complete digital age. Like we were on the brink of it, but then people still like, you know, talk to people. Not like now. Everybody kind of just um, socializes online and that's how they make their friends or they have a set of friends and they never, you know, divulge from them, you know, or divulge is not the right word. But you know what I mean? They don't really stray from their group of friends except for like talking to people on Tinder or Bumble or Grindr, whatever people use these days. I don't know. But he was embarrassed. He didn't want to go to the police. 
End of story. He was also afraid that this psychotic man in a hockey mask would find him and kill him, finish what he started, because clearly this guy wasn't playing around, like he was really hurting him. So he kept quiet. Not long after that, another man would fall into Mark's trap, and his name was Johnny Altinger, and he worked in the oil industry. He was a 38-year-old man who was also looking for love on Plenty of Fish. He just wanted somebody to settle down with, maybe a girlfriend for Pete's sake. Jeez, and then he runs into this lunatic. God, God bless. You know, if you are if you know anyone who's online dating, please, please make sure they're all right. I know. I'm always the mom of my group and people, my friends get so pissed at me. Some of them really appreciate it. And then there's others who are like, you're annoying. But for real, like you just never know. I mean, these stories happen. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if you have a better chance of winning the lottery or what, but they happen and you just don't want to be that person. You don't want your loved one to be that person. So does it really hurt to be that annoying friend who checks in on your friend? No, no. Better safe than sorry, but check on your friends. But this guy, poor Johnny, he just wanted, he wanted love. And he tells his friends like, hey, I've met this girl online. I'm going to go meet her. He gives one of his um, friends the address and is just like, hey, if something bad happens to me, well, then you, you know where I am. And that version today is people dropping, well, pinning their location to their friends and just being like, hey, I'm going on a Tinder date. If I die, this is where I was. So, I mean, that's good. It was really a good thing that Johnny did this because it would help the police tremendously. So the woman he thought he met on Plenty of Fish, her name was Jen, and she seemed to be very into him, very flirtatious, was wondering if he could come stay the weekend with her because she had the time and she just wanted to steal him away for a few days. And he was like, all right, let's let's give this a shot. Let's give love a chance. Okay. Now, to Johnny, everything seemed like, okay, peachy keen jelly bean, because Jen was like, I want to make sure you're not a creep, though, before you come to my place. Like, you know, people could do really messed up things online, and you just can, you never know who you can trust, which, again, is really ironic, because it's Mark probably having a good laugh on his side of the keyboard, and it's pretty disturbing, because he's the person who's doing something really terrible online. He's the person you can't trust. He's not Jen. His name is Matt. Shit shit this is so messed up and you know just her like um her being conscientious about like oh hey you need to I need to make sure you're like a safe person and you know I want to make sure you're not a weirdo probably made Johnny feel comfortable like okay she wants to be safe too just like me so this is a good sign but really this was just manipulation on Mark's part he was really setting that trap like you know you got the mouse trap this was the cheese, okay? This was the cheese. This was the tactic to get Johnny vulnerable and like trusting and he was manipulating him. So in 2008, texting wasn't a big thing. It was all about the email and Johnny emailed his friend like, okay, I'm heading over there now. He, he, he. And he probably thought he was going to get lucky. He thought this was going to be a lustful, wonderful weekend, but boy, was he wrong. So just like Giles, Johnny has to be like, where the hell am I? What is this neighborhood? And then he pulls up to a two-door garage and things probably felt so bizarre for him. So he texted, well, not texted her. He called her or whatever he was doing. I don't know if they were, I don't want to say beeping I am. I don't know how he let her know, but was like, hey, I'm here. And she was like, oh yeah, come into the garage. I'm, I'm waiting for you. 
So Johnny walks into the garage and it probably looked like he walked onto the set of Dexter because it was this weird abandoned looking garage with this metal table in the middle of the room and it was probably the size of like a pool table and it was saran wrapped and there was plastic sheets all on the floor underneath it all around it like it looked like a kill room. It looked like something or someone was about to get butchered and he probably was like okay what is this joke what is going on okay funny. So just like that, out of nowhere, Mark jumps out and he ambushes Johnny. Horrible. He takes a pipe and he just starts attacking him with a pipe and then a butcher knife. So he was bludgeoning Johnny with this pipe, hoping to get him down. I don't know if he was hoping to kill him that way, but it didn't work. Like Johnny was fighting for his life. Like there was adrenaline rushing rushing through him and this crazy crazy strength was just coming out of his body because he was in the fight for his life and that's when Mark just started stabbing him and he stabbed Johnny to death unfortunately Johnny would not get away so Mark was really proud of this kill and he was keeping diaries which was really sick so after everything happened he would like recount this in his diary and he was writing it as if Dexter Morgan was writing it like just very creepy and you know he tried getting rid of Johnny and he cut him up into pieces and tried burning his body and that didn't work because guys you can't just burn a body it doesn't just work that way even like when people like want to be ashes and everything they don't want to be buried like you have to be cremated and that is some crazy heat like being cremated is done in a very special manner because you need like an extensive crazy amount of heat to actually reduce bones to ashes. Like you can't just throw something in the fire and say, oh yeah, that person's going to burn to ash. Like, no, that's what a crematorium is really like really supposed to do. You can't just make a big bonfire and say, hi, hey, yeah, here we go. Like burn it to ashes. No, it doesn't work that way. So Mark quickly realized this and learned like, oh shit. Yeah, it doesn't work this way. And you know, in his book, he was just like writing, well, his diary, he was like writing about how killing someone would really give him a leg up on other movie writers and, you know, script writers, because he would actually know what it was like to kill somebody. And he would be able to bring that to life on screen better than somebody else because he had actually killed someone. He thought he was going to get away with this shit. So when Mark realized he wasn't going to be able to burn Johnny, he dropped his remains, which God even knows what that looked like at this point, dropped them into a sewer that was not too far away from the garage. It was probably a few blocks away. But Mark thought he was calculated. He thought he knew what he was doing and he thought he was a lot smarter than he actually was. And I guess the idiot just thought that Johnny was going to go missing and nobody was going to look for him or it wasn't going to be a big deal. Like, how would anybody guess that he was there with him? I don't know what he was thinking. But Johnny's friends started looking for him immediately and his family, and they wanted to know where he went. And as if they weren't panicked enough, they get an email. Mark's best friend gets an email that says, like, hey, like, me and Jen really hit it off. She owns property in Costa Rica. I'm going to go live with her for a while. Um, I'll see you back around the holidays, but I just really need to do this. I think she's the one. And yeah, that's it. And the email, like similar emails get sent to his other friends too. So now they're panicked, especially his best friend, because 
Johnny told him where he was going. He had the address and he said, like, if anything happens to me, like, you know where I am or where I was. So things are not okay. The red flags are here, people. Like, they are waving in the wind and shit is not okay. This is not Johnny. Johnny would just not do this. He wouldn't just leave his responsibilities. And again, this is another thing like Mark Twitchell. I don't know what he was thinking or how he thought that this was going to fly. But you know your friends. And like if my friend texted me tomorrow and was like, hey, like I'm going to Dubai with this guy I met and he owns property there and I'm going to go live with him and I'll see you see you around Christmas. Love you. Bye. Like, no, I'd be like, what in the hell are you smoking? What are you on? What are you doing? No, that wouldn't happen. Like, maybe there are some friends you have who have those gypsy souls and spirits and God bless. Like, I wish I could. But you would know. You would know if maybe this would have been fine if Johnny was a gypsy soul But clearly he wasn't. So I don't know how Mark didn't anticipate that this wouldn't go his way. Things got even stranger when Johnny's place of work received a letter of resignation through email, which was also not like Johnny. Johnny wouldn't quit that way. The email was also requesting that Johnny's final paycheck be forwarded to whatever address. And obviously that's a problem. Like that's that's bizarre as well. So his workplace is now like, what What the hell's going on? So Johnny's friends have had enough. They're like, that's it. We're breaking into his apartment. There's got to be answers there. Something's completely wrong. And what do they find when they break in? They find Johnny's passport. What does Johnny need if he's going to Costa Rica? You got it, folks. A freaking passport. Come on now. And they find dirty dishes. It looks like It just looks like, you know, a mess that he would have cleaned up and that he planned on coming back sooner. It doesn't look like he prepared to leave or go anywhere. So I'm sure they were like, did he even come home to get clothing? Like, all his shit is here. This doesn't make sense. So now this is just another red flag amongst so many others. So, of course, Johnny's loved ones went to police immediately and the Edmonton Police Department immediately started to investigate this whole situation because it was um, screaming foul play. It was not right at all. So now besides all of this, Johnny was um, cheating on his wife. I don't know how much this matters to the story. I think it matters because it just adds to the fact that he's a complete douchebag. But he was cheating on his wife. That's basically what happened with his first wife. And with his second wife, he was cheating on her with his college girlfriend. So I don't know if that was his first wife. Not really sure. There's a little confusion there. But he was a cheater and he was also flirting with a girl online that I told you about. And we'll call her Lisa because honestly, like, I don't really know what her real name was and I didn't want to dig too far into it because I kind of like to respect people's privacy, like, to an extent. And for her also, she, I found her very annoying. And um, yeah, that's my reasoning. It's probably not good reasoning. It's good enough to me, people, okay? I didn't really care about her. But regardless, we'll call her Lisa. Lisa was speaking to him and they were constantly talking about Dexter and about how they were fascinated with the darker side of things, which granted people, all of you here listening, me and myself, um, we are obviously into the dark side of things. But this was, um, these two people, they um, were definitely out there. They were, they were way too into it. And The girl did an interview and she was just like, yeah, like the thing I love about Dexter is that the main character really explored 
the darker side of things and he was able to rationalize in his mind like behind killing people like to me that just sounds weird it just sounds like you were happy to see a character who was able to rationalize killing like they were able to rationalize murder I could rationalize murder okay like I could like you know a five-year-old's raped by someone and the dad goes into a fit of rage and murders that person is it right no can I blame him absolutely not am I kind of happy he did it probably but you get what I'm saying like this this was just weird like this girl was just like fascinated by murder and you could tell through her messages with Mark Twitchell and I'm sure you could find them online I think I skimmed them and I was just kind of revolted so I stopped but they were talking about like murder like really romanticizing it and not even I'm not even just talking like murdering bad people like no they were just talking about murder in general it didn't matter who the victim was like just the bloodlust of it all and it was definitely concerning and she would say that she was really embarrassed like when all this came out because people saw what she was writing to him and her dark thoughts so I think that you know we seriously probably should be watching out for her and I don't know who's doing that I'm glad she lives in Canada and I'm all the way like not in Canada (laughs) um but that's just like a little background into the conversations they were having so after Mark killed Johnny he messaged her after not talking to her for like two weeks and was like hey Lisa like sorry I haven't talked to you like with the holidays and everything I went to like Thanksgiving parties with my friends and uh something else was keeping me a little preoccupied and she's like oh what else and he's like I don't know if I should tell you because of the implications that could be that could come with it so of course she's all like "Ooh, what is he talking about this um person who wants to be Dexter Morgan so badly and she probably was loving it because she wanted to date Dexter Morgan who again people is not a real person he is just a character but she was getting off on this just as much as he was. So Mark was like, all right, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened. Needless to say, I crossed the line on Friday and I liked it. So Lisa pretty much knew what he was talking about. So there's that. And it did not take long for Edmonton police to track down Mark. And they got the address from Johnny's friend. And when they arrived, it wasn't a house. It was a two-door garage in the middle of um, a seedy neighborhood. And so they figure out who the owner or the renter, I should say, of the garage is. And it was Mark. So they were like, all right, well, Mark, can we go through this garage? We have a missing person. And he said the last place he was in an email to his friend was your address, the address of your rented garage. So can we go through it? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, whatever. So he then takes a key and is like, oh, no, it's not opening the door or whatever. Someone must have changed the like the locks. And the police are like, hmm, this is weird. So they, they're like, oh, yeah, can you come in like then down to the station? We just want to do some, you know, formal questioning and stuff. Nothing crazy. Really, it becomes an interrogation. And I'll give you a little snippet of this interrogation because Mark is like, what, me? Know this person, Johnny Altinger, who's missing? Nope, never heard of him. I've got no idea. But here you go. Take a listen. Because the fact that you happen to the renter of the garage that has come to our attention due to a missing person. Okay. Now, first of all, can you please state your name? Mark Twitchell. Me, I'm just thinking about this. I mean, it's kind of odd that you're filming that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we end up going to that garage because of a missing person yeah. who supposedly went there. That's 
really freaky too. And as soon as they called me on the phone, as soon as Maxwell called me and said that, you know, this is what's going on, I get this weird chill. Now, you've been told that we're looking for a missing man. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, have you been told his name? No. Okay. The name is John. Okay. Altinger. A-L-T-I-N-G-E-R. Okay. Does that name ring a bell to you or mean anything to you? No. Never heard it before. No. Now, do you have any girls that are employed by you or that take part in anything? And it was in and around the same sort of time frame that you were there. You know, that he would have been there. Okay. Like in the afternoon. Really? Yeah. And he was supposed to go there and meet a girl. Who described the address and told him how to get there. Now this is really his best job. You know, and an internet uh, site. Does the name Jen mean anything to you? No, Constable Maxwell asked me about that too. And yeah, so so the name Jen doesn't mean anything to you. You don't know a Jen. You don't have an actress named Jen. So once again, John Altenier is not a name you've known. You, nobody like that's tried to rent the place from you. Nobody by the name of Jen means anything to you. No. So that's pretty much it. I know it might have been a little hard to hear, especially with like the sound quality and with the accent and everything. But basically, the the detectives like asking him, like, you don't know, like the name Johnny Altinger means nothing to you. He's like, no. OK, did you have anybody who was working for you who might have um, lured this person to this garage do they have access to it is there someone by the name of jen a female because johnny told his friends he was going to meet a female there so do you know anything about that and he's like no so the detective was like hmm you're a liar you're a freaking liar so now get this because shit gets even like more stupid here so once they call him in for a second questioning Mark's like, okay, yeah, I'll come talk to you, which, by the way, Mark is just an idiot because he thinks he can outwit the police. He thinks he can outsmart them. He knows exactly what he did, and he's just confidently going to talk to them like he didn't kill someone. <laughs> so if you think you're going to outwit the police people, you're not. Like, I know some people are like, oh, yeah, if I was the police, I would have done this differently. I would have done this. Well, a majority of these departments know what they're doing. And some of them have their shit together, okay? Not all of them. Listen, I'm not I'm not saying all of them. But some of them do. In this case, this police department, they were on point. They knew what they were doing. And um, Mark goes in there and he's just like, okay, yeah, something I didn't tell you guys before. I'm going to tell you now. Um, I ran into Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, right before he went to Costa Rica. He was telling me he was going to Costa Rica with this girl he met. And he sold me his red car for 40 bucks. And I'm sorry. <laughs> what? what he stole he sold you his car for 40 bucks right right yeah that makes sense you stupid idiot like why even say anything oh that's right because he was starting to connect the dots and was like oh shit they're gonna figure out things they're gonna figure out a lot of things they're gonna figure out what johnny's car was and it was a red car i don't know what make and model people it was like a red sedan um and they're gonna realize that my friend has been holding on to that for me in his driveway yeah that that's not good so at this point, the detective is pissed. He's like, listen, there's no doubt in my mind. I know it. I know you're involved in 
the disappearance of Johnny Altinger. Like, you have something to do with this. And Mark's, like, getting annoyed. He's like, why? Why would you think? Like, what do you mean? Why would you think that? Like, he's actually getting annoyed, which is kind of comical because you're an idiot. And Mark's just, like, whining, shaking his head at this point. Like, no, I, I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what you're talking about. And the detective's like, no, you know exactly what you're talking what you're talking about. You know exactly what's going on. You know what's happening here. Cut the bullshit. Okay, just cut it out. And honestly, it's quite embarrassing at this point. So so the cop is just getting more and more stern with him. He's like, you absolutely know what happened. You know what you did. You know what went down. You absolutely know. And the detective goes on to say, you don't buy a car that's worth over $10,000 for $40. That's a crock of shit. Okay? Like, he's, he doesn't really say it's a crock of shit. Like, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it had to be going on in his head. Like, come on now. This is bullshit. You bought a 10 plus grand car for 40 bucks no people don't just do that and at this point the detective's really making mark sweat he's like you're just telling me lie after lie after lie so on halloween of 2008 the police have had enough they have enough to arrest him and they arrest mark so upon finding his diaries um in his own car because you know he's like all right can I leave like I'm done with this and before he's arrested he's like I gotta go like I need to leave and they searched his car and in his own car they found these diaries and Mark did no favor to himself by writing in these diaries exactly what he did so because of these diaries they're able to convict Mark Switchell with first degree murder of Johnny Altinger And here's just an example of what was written in this diary. You guys are going to be like, what the hell? So it reads, this story is based on true events. The names and events were altered slightly to protect the guilty. This is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer. Like anyone just starting out in a new skill, I had a bit of trial and error in the beginning of my misadventures. Allow me to start from the beginning and I think you'll see what I mean. I don't remember the exact place and time it was that I decided to become a serial killer, but I remember the sensation that hit me when I committed to the decision. It was a rush of pure euphoria. I felt lighter, less stressed, if you will, at the freedom of the prospect. There was something about urgently exploring my dark side that greatly appealed to me, and I'm such a methodical planner and thinker. The very challenge itself was enticing to behold." What in the fuck, people? What in the mother suck? What? I just, I can't. This is crazy. So as you see, he's just romanticizing this already. Like he's writing as if he's this great writer. Like he's diving into becoming a serial killer. He's a wannabe. He's a wannabe Dexter Morgan, except Dexter killed bad people and Dexter was fake. He didn't kill random men on Plenty of Fish who just wanted to find a girlfriend or a wifey. Shit. So now another entry I'll read you. It goes, I bought a Hunter's game processing kit, which if you think about it is ideal for this scenario. Why not use a whole set of tools designed to take apart large mammals in the forest on the fly? It reduces the spatter caused by power tools. It takes the noise level way down, too. And there's also just something more gratifying about sawing through tendons and bone with your bare hands than using something else that takes the fun out of the work. What the 
like what is this freaky person like who are you how did you become so fucked up in the head i don't know he lost me this guy has lost me because he had a good childhood some i guess like this is just a great example of like i guess monsters are just born i don't know this is where this whole nature and nurture thing just takes a complete spin and throws me for a whirlwind because I don't get it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn around and tell you guys like, oh, Dexter, like this show really inspired him and it had something to do with his personality. Like he already had these bad personality traits. He was just born with them and then this this show just really like, you know, s- flicked the switch for him. Like, I don't know people. Like that that's a little intense, okay? Like this is a little crazy. It was a little crazy. So I don't really understand this. Like Mark Twitchell has me, okay? I don't I don't really know how to explain this one. And I'm sure I could do more research, but I'm not here to give you like psychoanalysis of this this person or do like any type of diagnosis. Like I'll do that on like my own personal time, but like he really he got me confused. He got me all screwed up. He goes on to say, my kill knife was different though. I wanted the weapon used for the dead itself to be simple, elegant, and beautiful in its own way. So I dropped my military surplus store and picked up a well-crafted hunting knife with an eight-inch blade. I would use this weapon to cleanly and simply slice open a gash in the victim's neck, allowing them to bleed out quickly and with no pain, if not a torture guy. Again, the noise level from the screams is not my thing at all and I only resort to that if they are still alive after apprehension but won't give me the simple information I ask for gee Mark you're so nice how nice are you oh no pain you think getting a gash in your neck is no pain and bleeding out is no pain feeling the blood leave your fucking body is no pain come on now you stupid narcissist I can't with this guy he's pissing me off Then in another entry, he writes several rolls of painters, plastic sheeting to prep my kill room, at least six rolls of packing tape and just as many rolls of duct tape, as well as two boxes of contractor grade hefty bags. I picked up a stun baton because I thought that would render my targets without use of their muscles quickly and painlessly. And I bought an extra realistic airsoft pistol, something that could very easily be mistaken for the real thing, especially in low light, just for that extra edge. Like... He thought he was directing a movie. He thought he was the main character of a movie here. Like, that's what it seems seems like to me. Like, he wanted to be the main character, the writer, the producer, the director, the whole goddamn nine. And he was just romanticizing this. It's sick. And you picked up a stun baton because you thought that would render your targets without the use of their muscles quickly and painlessly. Okay, why don't you stun yourself with that baton, boy, and see how painless it is. Like, come on now. Come on here. This is crazy. In more gruesome details in his diary, he would admit to how he killed Johnny and how Johnny was scared. And, you know, he used like that fake airsoft pistol to scare him into thinking like it was a real gun and that Johnny actually fought back so like so strongly. He actually grabbed the pistol out of Mark's hand and figured out that it was just an airsoft gun. And, you know, he almost got out. He really almost got away just like Giles. But Unfortunately, Mark took that hunting knife and stabbed him right in the stomach. And that was pretty much the end of it all. Like, I mean, he stabbed him all over the place, but like he really got him in the stomach. And I know that's graphic, but trust me, the diary entry is even more graphic if you want to go find it. It repulsed me, so I don't feel like um, diving into it. I think what I told you is repulsing enough. So finally, two years later, while Mark is um, waiting for his trial and everything, he draws a map for law enforcement and tells them where he put Johnny's body. 
So once Mark got to trial, he ended up confessing about killing Johnny and he, his defense team was pretty intelligent here, I guess. So he said that the point of getting these men to the garage was never to actually kill them, but to um, scare them, scare them into um, pure horror that they can use on film. Well, that he could use on film in a horror movie. So it wasn't acting. It was real life, like real life fear. That was what he wanted to do. And in doing so, it just led to self-defense. He had to defend himself against Johnny Attinger, who was fighting to kill Mark. So Mark, that was Mark's self-defense. That's what he was saying, which is just stupid because the stupid diary basically outlines the opposite. He continued on to say that he was hoping to be able to tell like Johnny like oh it's just a joke and like just stop it like stop everything and just be like yep it was all hoax and then that it would have like moved Johnny so much that he would have went to the internet wrote about it and it would have created buzz for the movie which is just sick. said that he did tell Johnny like okay listen man listen there is no Jen I just kind of did this to get you here because A, B, and C and Johnny was pissed about it. The prosecution obviously called bullshit and were like, no, he lured this man to this garage just to kill him in the way that the person died in the movie he filmed just a few weeks prior. Like, that's what he was doing. That was what his whole premise was here. So in 2011, after five hours of jury deliberation, they founded Mark guilty of first degree murder. And he was sentenced to 25 to life without the possibility of parole. And um, he was charged for like attempted murder of Giles, but that charge was actually dropped. So Mark ended up writing like a seven page book, which um, I can link in the, um, the show notes so you guys can take a look if you want to. I'm not going to go over the whole thing because he's just like a narcissistic piece of crap. But basically in there, he's just talking about how he has no feelings. He has no remorse or guilt. He um, really has no remorse or guilt for anything he did. And that even though his wife is like the greatest woman ever and she's an excellent mother to their child and the greatest partner anyone could ask for, he still cheats on her but only because he wants to experience the thrill of cheating, not because he feels neglected or entitled. He just does it. He goes on to write about how he's this philosophical person who loves like researching and talking about like deep things and how he continues to write screenplays and films. And he has this uncanny imagination that just never stops and yada, yada, yada. He's looking for an imperfect woman who shares the same views. Da, 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 da. Ridiculous. Okay, well, if he serves 25 years and gets out, he's out in like 2027. And uh, if anybody like wants to share a long weekend with him and be his little girlfriend, good luck because you might not come out alive, sweetheart. But that's the end of today's episode. He's a real piece of work. And I feel so bad for Johnny Attinger, who was just looking for love in all the wrong places, I guess. Um, that's not to say there's not a ton of love stories that emerge from the internet and online dating. So I'm not trying to deter you. Just trying to make sure you're more aware of possible serial killers on the internet. Because, well, here you have it. That was Mark Twitchell. So that is the conclusion of another Ghoultober-themed episode. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, yeah pretty morbid, pretty freaky. And he was really obsessed with Dexter. Don't get me wrong. I love Dexter. But the third season sucked. And now there's a new season of Dexter coming out. And now I have to force myself to watch the third season that I didn't finish because of course I have to see the new season. So that's my problem right now. 
But other than that, there are so many good shows coming out. Just finished Squid Game. I loved it. I know a lot of people are like iffy about the ending, but I freaking loved it. Now I'm in the middle of watching Midnight Mass. Oh my God. Amazing. So yeah, am I giving you a bunch of random Netflix suggestions out of nowhere? Completely just off topic. Yes, I am. Yes. Yes, I do that. You're welcome. So yep, I'm going to go finish Midnight Mass after talking to you lovely people. And then you is coming on the new season. Oh, shit shit is popping off in October. And then Halloween Kills is out this week, which I'm going to see Thursday night, people. Hey, let me know if you're going to see it. Let's talk about it. So many things to watch. All of us homebodies are living for all of these beautiful Netflix lineups and movies coming out. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed my little, um, show suggestions that came out of nowhere I don't know that was really just unwarranted but I'm sure you loved it but that's it I don't know if you guys have any case suggestions that you want to hear in the future when Ghoultober is over but if you do just dm me send me a message leave me a comment if I haven't gotten back to your message I swear I will I have just been overwhelmed by the love and support I've received which is just crazy so thank you keep the messages coming I love them I love to catch up with you guys whenever I get the chance and um yeah that's it so one last thing where is Brian Laundry? I need to know I'm losing it I need to know I'm starting to think they're never gonna find him guys and I hate to say that but hopefully I'm wrong and they will find him I know a lot of people think you think he's um under the flower bed the garden bed me and my friend do I'm sure a lot of you do too but here's hoping they find that mother sucker soon but that's really all the rambling I've got for you guys. So I will talk to you next week with a brand new Ghoultober themed Crime Ghoul episode. Let me know your thoughts and your comments because they matter. You're welcome for that song. Yeah. Okay. This is corny. I'm going to shut up now. All right. I love you. Go watch Midnight Mass because it's so good. Bye. And no, that was not a paid advertisement. So Midnight Mass, Netflix, y'all want an advertisement? Hit me up. Okay. Bye. For real. Thank you.